Chapter Sixteen of A Man of Honor by George Carey Eggleston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen. What occurred next morning? The reader thinks, doubtless, that Master Dick's entrance at the precise time indicated in the last chapter was an unfortunate occurrence, and I presume Mr. Pagebrook was of a like opinion at the moment but maturer reflection convinced him that the interruption was a peculiarly opportune one he was a conscientious young man and was particularly punctilious in matters of honor wherefore had he been allowed to complete the conversation thus unpremeditatedly begun without an opportunity to deliberate upon the things to be said he would almost certainly have suffered at the hands of his conscience in consequence. There were circumstances which made some explanations on his part necessary, and he knew perfectly well that these explanations would not have been properly made if Master Dick's interruption had not come to give him time for reflection. All this he thought as he drank his tea, for when supper was announced, both he and Miss Sudie went into the dining-room precisely as if their talk in the parlor had been of no unusual character. They did this because they were creatures of habit, as you and I and all the rest of mankind are. They were in the habit of going to supper when it was ready, and it never entered the thought of either to act differently on this particular occasion. Miss Sudie, it is true, ran up to her room for a moment, to brush her hair, I presume, before she entered the dining-room, but otherwise they both acted very much as they always did, except that Robert addressed almost the whole of his conversation during the meal to his Aunt Mary and Aunt Catherine, while Miss Sudie, sitting there behind the tea-tray, said nothing at all. After tea the older ladies sat with Robert and Sudie in the parlor, until the early bedtime prescribed for the convalescent young gentleman arrived. It thus happened that there was no opportunity for the resumption of the interesting conversation interrupted by Dick until the middle of the forenoon the next day. Miss Sudie, it seems, found it necessary to go into the garden to inspect some late horticultural operations and Mr. Robert, quite accidentally, followed her. They discussed matters with Uncle Joe, the gardener, for a time, and then wandered off toward a summer-house, where it was pleasant to sit in the soft November sunlight. The conversation which followed was an interesting one, of course. Let us listen to it. "'The vines are all killed by the frost,' said Cousin Sudie. "'Yes, you have frosts here earlier than I thought,' said Robert. "'Oh, we always expect frost about the 10th of October. At least the gentlemen never feel safe if their tobacco isn't cut by that time. This year frost was late for us, but the nights are getting very cool now, ain't they?' "'Yes. I found blankets very comfortable, even before the 10th of October.' "'It's lucky, then, that you weren't staying with Aunt Polly Barksdale.' "'Why? And who is your Aunt Polly?' 
Aunt Polly? Why, she is Uncle Charles's widow. She is the model for the whole connection, and I've had her held up to me as a pattern ever since I can remember, but I never saw her till about a year ago, when she came and stayed a week or two with us. And between ourselves, I think she is the most disagreeably good person I ever saw. She is good, but somehow she makes me wicked, and I don't think I'm naturally so. I didn't read my Bible once while she stayed, and I do love to read it. I suppose I shall like to have her with me in heaven if I get there, because there I won't have anything for her to help me about, but here I'm better without her. I quite understand your feeling, but you haven't told me why I'm lucky not to have her for my hostess these cold nights. Oh, you'd be comfortable enough now that tobacco is cut. But when Cousin Billy stayed with her, a good many years ago, he used to complain of being cold, he was only a boy, and ask her for blankets, and she would hold up her hands and exclaim, Why, child, your uncle's tobacco isn't cut yet. It will never do to say it's cold enough for blankets when your poor uncle hasn't got his tobacco cut. Think of your uncle, child. He can't afford to have his tobacco all killed. But come, Cousin Robert, you mustn't sit here. Besides, I want to show you an experiment I am trying with winter cabbage. This, I believe, is a faithful report of what passed between Robert and Sudie in the summer house. I am very well aware that they ought to have talked of other things, but they did not and, as a faithful chronicler, I can only state the facts as they occurred, begging the reader to remember that I am in no way responsible for the conduct of these young people. The cabbage experiment duly explained and admired, Mr. Robert and Miss Sudie walked out of the garden and into the house. There they found themselves alone again, and Robert plunged at once into the matter of which both had been thinking all the time. "'Cousin Sudie,' he said, "'have you thought about what I said to you last night?' "'Yes, a little.' "'I will not ask you just yet what you have thought,' said Robert, taking her unresisting hand into his because there are some explanations which I am in honor bound to make to you before asking you to give me an answer, one way or the other. When I told you I loved you, of course I meant to ask you to be my wife, but that I must not ask you until you know exactly what I am. I want you to know precisely what it is that I ask you to do. I am a poor man, as you know. I have a good position, however, with a salary of two thousand dollars a year, and that is more than sufficient for the support of a family, particularly in an inexpensive college town, so that there is room for a little constant accumulation. If I marry, I shall insure my life for ten thousand dollars, so that my death shall not leave my wife destitute. I have a very small reserve fund in bank, too thirteen hundred dollars now, since I paid for that horse. And there is still three hundred dollars due me for last year's work. 
these are my means and my prospects and now i tell you again sudie that i love you and i ask you bluntly will you marry me the young lady said nothing if you wish for time to think about it sudie i suppose that would be the proper way according to custom but raising her eyes fearlessly to his i have already made up my mind and i do not want to act a falsehood there is nothing to be ashamed of i suppose in frankly loving such a man as you robert i will be your wife the little woman felt wonderfully brave just then and accordingly without further ado she commenced to cry the reader would be very ill-mannered indeed should he listen further to a conversation which was wholly private and confidential in its character wherefore let us close our ears and the chapter at once end of chapter sixteen